The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your grace and Your mercy and Your Word. Thank You for the trip through Your Scriptures that we've had over this last year with the Essential 100 to see the breadth of Your interaction with Your people. And today, Lord, as You uh, encourage us to stand fast in our faith, we pray that You would give us the, the equipment, the tools, uh, the grace to do just that uh, and the wisdom to recognize uh, that which we are standing for and that which we are standing against. We ask God that you would be uh, worshipped and praised uh, in our midst today. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning to all of you who are staying with us. Um, thank you guys for breakfast sandwiches. They were so awesome. Uh, great job. And thank you God for uh, well water, which we are uh, we are uh, we're, we are all the way on board there. So. Uh, today we're looking at uh, chapters 83 and 84 in the Essential 100, that is uh, Ephesians 6 and Philippians 4. We, um, so we're kind of working our way through some of Paul's letters now. I, I've said this before, I think, the, uh, the way that I always know how to turn to, uh, to find Galatians or Ephesians or Philippians or Colossians in the uh, Bible, because you know they just say which one is which, what order are they in? I always, somebody taught me in high school, General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, General Electric Power Company. That's how I've always remember, remembered it. Even this morning, just now, I was flipping to Ephesians, General Electric Power Company. There it is, got it. And so, uh, I don't know what that says about First and Second Thessalonians. That comes later. So, um, But that's, that's, uh, that's how you find it. Uh, Ephesians and Philippians are both written uh, by St. Paul from jail. Uh, more than likely, almost certainly, Ephesians were written in, the, in Rome, and almost certainly, Philippians was also written from jail uh, in Rome. Um, these are written to encourage the, the parishioners and the church members, the Christians in Ephesus and Philippi. Uh, very little uh, tension, very little, they're not, he's not really addressing problems so much. There is one. Uh, a couple little squabbles, but, but for the most part, he's writing to encourage them in their faith, to let them know he is doing okay because they're concerned about him. Uh, and, and so uh, we don't have the tension, say, of Galatians. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Or we don't have uh, Corinthians where, where Paul is um, lamenting uh, their uh, pride and their, and their um, uh, sort of debauchery and moral, moral failings. Uh, he is uh, he is encouraging the Ephesians and Philippians. They are really wonderful books just to meditate on, to uh, to soak yourself in, to be encouraged by. Um, and we we actually have spent uh, a few years ago we spent uh, Lent looking at Ephesians, and I think we actually started before that. Um, and you can you could spend a long time in both these letters, even though they're really short. They're, they're, they're chock full. Um, not, the, not the theological treatises that, that maybe a Romans, uh, something like that, but, but a lot of really, really wonderful material on our discipleship as Christians. Um, the passage that the Essential 100 picked out for Ephesians is uh, towards the end of Ephesians, chapter 6, it's the last, the last chapter, verses 10 through 20, and that is the famous passage about the armor of God. And, uh, and essentially, the, uh, the passage from Philippians is doing the same thing. 
uh, and so we'll talk about that. It's not it's not in such vivid um, metaphoric language, but it's essentially saying uh, the same thing. So that's why I've paired these two lessons together. Uh, the Fe- Ephesians is so we're going to spend most of our time in Ephesians. We'll also, if we have time, look at uh, Philippians as well. You know, I'm actually a little surprised he didn't pick Philippians chapter 2, which is that great hymn uh, about the person of Christ, but maybe that's because we talk about Colossians uh, the following. That's what we'll talk about next week in chapter 85 is Colossians. But um, So this week, Ephesians, let me, read it, let me just read it for you. I think it's going to be the easiest because it's only, it's only like 10 verses, 11 verses. Uh, finally, so after everything he said in Ephesians, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore. You have an idea of what Paul wants you to do, right? He said, stand, stand, stand. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am in for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul is saying, stand. Stand against the wild. That's how the, how the King James translates The wiles of the devil. Uh, this translation, English Standard Version, says, stand against the schemes of the devil. But the whole thing is is talking about how to be strong and in the strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. That's the imperative. Let me ask you this: Is is that something that is conscious in your mind on a day to day basis? Uh, and if so, how? Um, maybe if not, why? But but if uh, if so, how is? How do you think you might be strong in the Lord? Or why might we need to be strong in the Lord rather than just coming on, uh, coming on Sundays? Yes, birthday girl. I just, I just, as soon as I open my eyes and get my Bible and you read the Psalms, two Psalms aloud, mm-hmm. and they are the praise and glory for the Lord. It sets your whole day because what you have done is cleanse <coughs> and you have set up the guards against 
Yes. Which are ravenous. So you set up the guards against the ravenous principalities by reading a couple of psalms out loud. That's that's one way to do it. That's that's fantastic. I think it's actually wise. I've been going through the psalms for a couple of months now, and uh, I don't think I read them aloud. Maybe I'll try that out. What else? Yes, Katie. Well, we're always going to be tempted. Yeah. Right. And then you have to remember that the devil's already got people that love their sin. Well, who he's coming after are the ones that claim to be Christians and, and, come, against, and come against him. And he wants to show you that he's really the boss. So it's, I mean, I feel like it's hard to, to sometimes to kind of wrap our head around as modern people, scientifically influenced people, to wrap our head around as devil that... But clearly, I mean, the scripture talks about uh, there's an adversary, Satan, who prowls around like a roaring lion, St. Peter says in, in uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 8, 1 Peter, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. There is a spiritual force against the forces of goodness. And Paul even talks about this present darkness. Um, anybody ever read the, the novel called This Present Darkness? Yeah. It's um it's it's pretty vivid. It's, it's like from the eighties, uh, but it's it's um, I can't remember the guy the author's name. It's pretty pretty Peretti, Peretti Frank Peretti. That's right. We uh the, it it got passed around our high school uh, Bible study uh, a lot, but um but it, it it's pretty vivid about s- spiritual warfare. I don't know what if if you've really engaged if you felt like you've engaged in spiritual warfare, but I think what Paul is saying is that you're we're all in spiritual warfare. There's it, all the time. That, that we are, uh, the, the quest for righteousness, the quest for growing in Christ is by definition and by description a, a quest that is going to meet adversity that is put at us by the adversary of God, which is Satan. And, um, and so uh, it, I think, takes some discipline to remember that, to take that with some credibility. But um, I've always heard it said that one of Satan's most uh, pernicious schemes is to convince us that he doesn't exist. Um, we don't need to live in fear. What Paul says that we, is we need to stand. Uh, essentially, he doesn't say advance. We're not advancing necessarily here, but we're standing because we're going to get pushed against. Yes? Um, I, don't, I don't know if, if I'm just um, reading more into this, but it appears that when we're talking about armor, we're not just talking about a sword. We're talking about a helmet and being girded in your breast. So it's very pervasive in all all parts of your life and parts of your body, not just your mind. Yes, yes, indeed. So Susie said it's pervasive in all parts of our body, not just our mind. Uh, we're talking. Yes. Yeah, so we're going to we're actually going to look at each element of of the armor that that uh, that Paul talks about uh, for sure. Um, uh, Paul, when, as he describes the armor, he's actually recalling a passage in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17, where Isaiah says, He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So Paul is, is drawing on and expanding uh, that imagery from Isaiah, this conquering hero, this warrior, um, this divine uh, savior. And, and, and so it's 
all again, all of this is under the admonition, be strong in the Lord. This, what Paul is talking about is, is um, it, we used to talk about the, the church militant. I don't know if people, if you remember that, just um, that we, uh, people don't like today that uh, sort of <coughs> army metaphor for, for, the, for the church. But the, um, the idea that we are uh, in God's army, onward Christian soldiers, that sort of thing. So, uh, so all of this is to be strong in the Lord. And four times in verses 11 through 14, we're told to stand, to stand fast, to withstand uh, the devil, to stand against the schemes of the devil. May I have a that? Yes, Sissy. Um, it's just a saying that I picked up from a pickup truck. <laughs> pickup trucks are usually a great source of theology, so so please go ahead. Yes. Well, I, I like ML, start uh-huh. my day with my devotion, yeah. and one of them is the Songs of Jesus, and it's the song. Mm-hmm. But um, I was having a day when I was frustrated about something. I was driving along, and I was a little frustrated, and this pickup truck was coming towards me, and at the top of the windshield, it letters this call that said, Not today, Satan. Not today, Satan. Not today. There's some like Saturday Night Live skit about that or something, but but it is that is actually good good theology. So we're here to stand fast. Not not today, Satan. Um, and, and what Paul actually I think is saying is that it could be Satan's day if you don't if we don't equip ourselves, if we don't make and make a habit of equipping ourselves. I, I know that. Um, I, I used to know a couple, I'm trying to remember the, actually the context, but a couple, and there was a sweet older couple, and they would get up every morning, and the, before they even uh, got out of bed, they would pr- pray this armor, full armor of God uh, upon themselves. And, um, and you know, I, that almost seems a little bit um, hokey to me, but I appreciate the heart behind it, right? I, I appreciate so much the, uh, the desire to, before my feet even hit the floor, to know that I am girding myself up uh, to, to receive and to stand for all that the Lord has me uh, has for me today. So, um, so as we understand that we are equipping ourselves for this for spiritual warfare, we stand against not just not flesh and blood, against principalities. Um, the first thing he says is that we are to. Um, we just stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Why would truth be a belt for us? What what in the world is he talking about? Why do we? What what is? What purpose does a belt serve? It's a binding. It's a binding, right? Is that sure? What else? What do, what do belts do? They hold up our pants. They hold up our pants. That's right. So we keep us from being exposed, right? We keep us from embarrassment. Keep us from being exposed. So why would truth keep us from exposure? Josh, you have a twinkle in your eye. What would you like? Yeah. Paul's writing. Nobody's wearing pants. They're wearing. They're wearing a robe and like a tunic. Yes. We're gathering in. So. <laughs> right. So you're in dangerous territory. Yeah. Are they not wearing pants because they're wearing tunics? Yeah, that's a fair point, I, I suppose. But I think it still is going to uh, keep us from uh, keep holding. Yeah. Maybe, maybe uh, ML's point of it. So it's a binding uh, is is actually better and it's form fitting as well. So um, no, a shield. So the belt of truth. 
So it's, it's uh, not just, I think, telling the truth, which is important. Honesty is the best policy. But wrapping it around us, right? Wrapping, the, uh, being fast, having the truth fastened around us, the truth of God as He has revealed Himself to us. That is the, um, that is the, the thing, which, the cincture uh, around us is, is the truth of God as He's revealed Himself to us. That's what holds itself to us. And, and I think, I, I'm not going to give, I think it keeps us from exposure. Anyway, yes. Um, all right, so what about the breastplate of righteousness? What is this all about? It's worth shouting about, I can tell you. So, well, the breastplate uh, covers our vital organs, but especially our heart, right? So, is he admonishing us to be righteous here? Is that what? Is it our own righteousness we're talking about? To protect yourself. Especially, you know, to me, the two things that are connected together is your heart and your mind. Okay. So um, sometimes, I don't know if your mind controls your heart or your heart controls your mind, but if you protect this. It's all brain function, but that's but, just science. But, but still, if your heart stops beating, your brain stops. Sure, no, they without are, question. Are, yeah, yes, yes. Physiologically, yes. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, so to me, is if you protect your heart, from evil, then you are also going to protect your mind. That's right. So if you, uh, Joyce said, if you protect your heart from evil, you're also protecting your mind. That's a, that's a good point. Fair point. Our, our righteousness comes from what Christ did on the cross. Our righteousness comes from what Christ did on the cross. So what we're covering our heart with is the righteousness of Christ. Now that is and ought to bear fruit in our own life of Righteousness, right? But the first, the thing which which we are clothing ourselves with, covering ourselves with, is is in fact the work that Christ has done for us. That He has clothed us in His own righteousness. Uh, you know that used to be. Uh, I fa- I had a hard time with that um, because I really wanted. I, I I saw clothing myself in the righteousness of Christ as being a temporary uh, fix. That what I really was called to do is to be righteous. And what I wanted more than anything, I don't think I would have articulated it quite like this, but ultimately what I wanted was to be less and less in need of a Savior by becoming more and more righteous. And um, let me tell you, that led to uh, therapy, is what, it, what that led to. I mean, it, it is, uh, that was a, a no-win game. That was the devil at work, convincing me that I needed to become something that I wasn't. I, I think you're probably uh, right about that. Um, the... Uh, the response of obedience is important, but the thing to cover ourselves with is the righteousness of Christ. His finished work. Jesus hanging from the cross, yelling out against all principalities. It is finished. He has done it all uh, on the cross. And then He breathed His last. Uh, that is our covering. Uh, that is our protection. Against the wiles of the devil. Why, why are we standing fast in that? What? It's attractive to us? Yeah, well, it is. But it's also protective over us, right? Even our own righteousness is fairly porous. If I have a breastplate of my own righteousness and an arrow comes, forget it, right? It's like cellophane, you know, so. um, All right. Here's an interesting one. The shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace. The shoes of readiness 
given by the gospel of peace. Go and serve. Yes. What implies movement. Here I am, Lord, send me. So, but is given. Yes. So there's a readiness. There's a, a um, there's an active element that we are moving. We're not just standing, right? We're um, we, we we are. There's a, a movement. We're ready to do what God has called us. But we're given by the gospel, and not just any gospel, but the gospel of peace between us and the Lord. Uh, that is the righteousness of Christ, right? That we, are, we have been given the gospel that Jesus has paid it all. And so that actually equips us to do the things that He has called us to do. We're, uh, we're equipped with readiness. They are as shoes upon our feet. Uh, go and... Uh, well, that's, that's just an interesting turn of phrase for Him, I think. Then He says, um, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith in which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Some, some translations say flaming arrows of the evil one. The shield of faith. Why is faith a shield? Because faith is Jesus. Faith is Jesus. Faith is Jesus. Faith in Jesus. I mean, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, anytime we take up our faith, it is... You don't go past that. Well, there's a whole se- several more things we got to keep going. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> the, um, it's impenetrable. It's what you cling to. It's what you cling to in times of trouble. Yes. It is. It is literally what you, what you use to protect yourself against the outside elements that would serve to destroy your faith. Mike said it's the uh, literally what you use to protect yourself against the outside elements that would destroy your faith. So you take faith to use faith to shield yourself against the destroying of your faith. Is that fair? Is that, have I said yes. I think that's right. It's a good... Um, faith, it takes practice. And essentially, this shield of faith, I think, is, is living and active. And like all things that are living and active, it, it takes when it takes damage, it regenerates and, and becomes stronger. When you break a bone and it heals, it's stronger than it was before. And so, sometimes our faith takes hits from the flaming darts, right, uh, of the enemy. And yet, uh, I think it, it, our faith, if we're faithful to, to God and covering ourselves, that, that it actually grows and gets stronger. It's almost like you get a, a little bitty shield when you first become a Christian, and the more uh, that you grow in your faith, the more that you mature in Christ, that that shield takes some hits and it grows because you're, we're, we're being given to, uh, to grow in Him and to trust Him. So we're, ultimately, I think ML's right. What we're putting up in front of us is not just the strength of our faith, but the object of our faith. And that is Christ Himself. Then he says, um, and take the helmet of salvation. Why would salvation be a helmet? Where does the helmet sit? Over your brain, right? Over your mind, over the over the locus of your thought. Why would salvation need to cover the way you think? You don't have it. You don't have anything. You don't have it. You don't have anything. Okay. Peanut gallery. Wait. <laughs> no, it's fine. Well, um, well, you have to protect the heart, but you also have to protect the mind. 
So that's, yeah, Joyce essentially said the same thing. You protect your, your heart and you protect your mind. The, uh, the mind, it, how you think, is oriented completely by our salvation. It is, salvation is not just an a added checkbox, right? It is, the, it is the thing that covers everything by which we orient ourselves in this world, uh, is our faith in Christ. Everything you, this, this, the uh, sermon this morning is everything you have is from the Lord. Uh, everything that we are given to do should be uh, according to the will of God. Uh, our salvation, which is our, uh, re- the entrance into and the description of our relationship with God, is the thing that covers our mind. And I think that is a really important discipline uh, for us. Um, now, some people have a much more emotionally centered faith and emotionally centered personality. Some people have a much more uh, cognitive, a re- a rational personality or, and sense of their faith. And I think both of those are important, play important parts uh, in this world. Uh, but those who are um, cognitively oriented don't need to be, don't need to forget their heart. In fact, they need to work on developing it. And those who are emotionally oriented need to develop uh, their, the way that they think and their sort of rationality. We need to cover our minds with our salvation. We also take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Why is the sword, why is the Word a sword, a sword of the Spirit? Because when you know it well, and as you know it better, Scripture naturally comes to mind as a support in those times right. we're under attack. So you remember, uh, Katie said that when we know Scripture better, that it comes naturally uh, to us as a support. Remember in, uh, when Jesus is being tempted, uh, before he enters into his, right after the baptism, before he enters into ministry, uh, he goes out into the wilderness, he's tempted by the devil with primarily three major temptations at the end of 40 days of fasting. And every time when the devil comes to him with these flaming arrows, uh, uh, he quotes Scripture back to him. And even uh, at some point, the, de- the devil catches on, right? And starts quoting Scripture at Jesus out of context and quotes him in the wrong way. And Jesus still is so grounded in Scripture that he uh, is able to quote it back to him uh, correctly. Felix, and then... Um, it cuts through the wiles of the devil. Absolutely. We're able to use that for, um, uh, for, for strength and for defense. Yes, Josh. I was just thinking everything else in the analogy so far has been protection, has been against incoming threats, whereas this is the first one where you project something out. And so you're using the, the word of God, the word of God to, you know, to uh, show it. Mm-hmm. Not so much on the offensive, is, but to, to go out from yourself to maybe to, to uh, evangelize or something like that. Sure. So if you couldn't hear Josh, he said that... Um, that everything, all the other sort of bits of armor that we've been given have been protection from things coming at us, but the sword is the first thing that we can actually bear up to take out from apart from ourselves to use uh, to go forth. And so uh, I think that's I think that's a really uh, good and wise distinction. Um, it is a sword that can certainly be used for protection and self-defense, but also be used to cut through, like Felix said, and to um, and to win the day. So, uh, but it has to. Be, you have to. 
if you know anything, and I don't know a lot about sword play or anything, but you know, you know, it takes a lot of practice and a lot of training, and it, and it takes a lot of to be very careful, and there's lots of different techniques and stuff, and that really is how we uh, study the scriptures. Yes, ML. You do not win if you do not have a good offense, and in Revelation, the word of Christ. The words that come from his mouth are described as swords. That's right. That kill. So, Emil said it in Revelation, the words of Christ are actually um, described as a sword. That when Jesus appears to John, uh, he has a sword coming out of his mouth, which is which is his own word. The um, she also said that offense you can't win without a good offense. My coach always says that offense sells the tickets, the defense wins the games, but. Um, that just may be that may just be football. But the um, how comfortable are you uh, as Christians, as Episcopalians, uh, talking about and thinking about spiritual warfare? Very. Very. In what context? More context. No, in, in what context? In, what context? in every context. That's the guy. Are you talking about as going out, and going door to door, evangelizing? Not so much. Yeah. Are you talking about? in our everyday and being an example and talking to people when asked uh, when asked about Christ, yeah, I'm fine. I think the um, I, I, th- I think this is really in seeing yourself as uh, as a part of a spiritual and cosmic battle uh, in all things, whether it be it's not just about your evangelizing and knocking on doors and such, but about your living your life that that, that, um, that God wants one thing for you, that Satan wants another. And um, and having the discipline to stand fast uh, in in all those things. Sometimes we will be called to go out. Sometimes we will be called to answer questions. Um, and and yet in all things, I don't know if you've ever really dealt with, and I really haven't dealt with it much. Sort of the supernatural. The um, and one very sh- strange uh, and. In some ways, wonderful, but a little bit scary uh, interaction. And I think I've told that story before. But um, I prayed for somebody, and this really this chill shot through my body. And I felt very nauseous, and he all of a sudden felt great, like this thing had come off of him. It was, it was pretty wild. Um, but the um, but it is so. I don't I don't think it needs to be scary. I don't I don't I'm as personally my own piety. I'm not comfortable. Um, being known for what I'm against, you know, I want to be known for what I'm for. Um, but the the um, what Paul is saying is that in in any case we are to stand, to stand fast in the Lord, be strong in the Lord. Uh, and I think this is um, this metaphor that we're using is to constantly orient ourselves and protect ourselves with, and sometimes go forward with the um, the, the tools that He has given us. Now the me, the measure. Let me hold before we get the finish that up. The measure and the means that the animating quality of all these things. Because if you can put on all these things, it can just sometimes just weigh you down. The animating quality of this is prayer. So we need to not forget that praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Like that's the, that's how we stand firm. Constant communication with our Father. In the power of the Spirit and in the name of Jesus. The Spirit is interceding for us. Jesus is interceding for us to the Father. The Father's will is good for you. 
and, um, and it's, it's for you, but we are praying at all times. That's how we stand fast. That's how we, give, uh, we take on these things. Uh, not just consciously, but um, prayerfully. Comments? Yes, Susan. How important is recitation? How important is recitation? You know, like people quote scriptures all the time. It, it makes me feel very inferior. I know what they're talking about. I've read it, but I don't have the ease with which. Yeah, I don't really either. Yeah, so I don't think it's. Um, I don't think you have to recite scripture, you know, chapter and verse. I think you need to know scripture. You need to hide it in your heart. Um, I do think it's. I think scripture memorization is really good and important. It's a good discipline for us. But I do not think it is. Um, like if you if you are not good at that, then you're going down. Like I don't think that's it, right? Yeah. Um, all right. Let me just quickly. We got about five more minutes. Let me just let me flip over to Philippians, and um, this is actually Amy's favorite uh, little passage, at the end of Philippians, which is just a joyful and wonderful uh, letter. Starting with verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I don't know about you. It sounds kind of fruity and you know happy and f- fluffy and and um and nice. Except that my life isn't always lived in rejo- uh, joyful circumstance. So I think, well, some I mean maybe sometimes. But then actually, the more you think about it, like this, there's actually great difficulty in what he's calling us to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Um. Joy is a discipline. And it is one that I think we work on all our lives. So when I say it is a discipline, I don't mean it's a discipline that you people need to get, to get your act together with. Um, I, it is a, I, I, think, I feel like I'm on the three-yard line and i got 97 more to go sometimes. Um, but joy is a discipline. Um, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Uh, do not be anxious about anything. Whew. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So we have the peace of God which passes understanding or surpasses uh, understanding. Every week at the end of the service, I stand up. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God, and of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. You hear it every week. What is peace that passes understanding? Wouldn't, wouldn't peace come from understanding? Why, why, why do we have peace that surpasses, or that is not tied to or circumsta- um, based on the circumstance of understanding? It doesn't have any to me. It's the fullness of God. The fullness of God. Our understanding would limit peace. 
Say it again. Our understanding would limit. Our understanding actually would limit peace. Yeah. In fact, what I understand is that we're in trouble, right? You know, like I've got anxiety that which leads to anxiety, and we're to be anxious about nothing. See it. I guess I, when I hear that, I always think about when Jesus says, "Bring me the children," and hmm. when I would curl up on my dad's lap when I was a little girl, I was safe. I didn't need to understand that daddy worked two jobs to make sure that he could put us all through school and pay the bills and do all of that. But I knew as long as his little arm, or as long as his arms were around me, mm-hmm. I was fine. Yeah. And that's what I hear. It's like, don't worry about it. I got it. Just come to me. All right. I think we're done. Good job. Yeah. That was, that was, that was, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. What a beautiful image uh, of your dad uh, with his arms around you. And you didn't need to understand. Because you know he had it, and I, I think that's man, that's that's a that is a fantastic image. Thank you very much. A really great insight. Um, is it too pie in the sky to say whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just and pure? Think about these things. Is that too pie in the sky? Is that really? Is that re- can, is it is it possible that we can live our life that way? You can try. It takes work. I mean, is that just sticking your head in the sort of Jesus sand and, and not dealing with the real world? What's wrong with that? No. <laughs> What's wrong with that? There's stuff going on, man. I'm the Jesus sand, not the regular sand, the Jesus sand. Okay. Well, I think it's believing God, and I think, you know, it's, it's an assurance that when you're facing the battles, the powers of heaven are there with you. And it, it's just something that the peace, mm-hmm. it, all revolves, it all revolves around the peace of God. And that's coming from somebody who had great anxiety before mm. she came to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I have great anxiety, and, I, and I'm, I'm with God. I mean, you know, so like, I think that, and, and again, I'm, I don't think this is necessarily talking about you know, chemical anxiety, but I think that... Um, it is about a lot of where we put our, our faith and our trust. And I think all of these things, I'm more and more convinced that the more we look at ourselves and how we are doing with all these things, the, it doesn't get any better. But to look at Christ, and, oh, and I'm going to talk about this, this is the sermon, but I'm talking about Christ and Christ, looking at Christ and looking at Christ, that the more we look at Christ, the fruit of the Spirit bears itself in us. Um, and we can see our growth in retrospect. That He is the object of our attention. So He is the one who is noble and just and, um, and excellent. In one of our lessons uh, in women's Bible study, the thing that struck out at me was don't just believe in God. Believe God. Don't believe in. Don't just believe in God, but believe, believe God. God. Yes. I can go there. Good. Well, this is very. This is an invigorating uh, conversation. Um, I appreciate all of your input, and I pray that each of us would put on the whole armor of God on a daily basis and have the discipline to have peace, even when, and joy, even when we are, our circumstances don't t- dictate it. God bless you. We'll see you in church.